Amen. Yes, sir. Debbie and I want to thank you from the bottom of our heart for you taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule and coming over to our home <laughs> for this blessing that you're bestowing upon us. It's a true honor. It's a true honor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of The Weekly Word with Michael Rossa. I'm sitting here with the great one, Emmett Smith, as my guest. <laughs> if you're watching right now, you probably know who Emmett is. But in case you don't know who he is, allow me to introduce you to him. Emmett James Smith III <laughs> is an amazing man with a dynamic story. Many of you know about his great achievements in football and that little known thing called the Dancing with the Stars that him and Cheryl did where they won. But you may not know some of the deeper, more inner heart parts of this guy right here. And the reason you may not know those other parts of Mr. Emmett Smith is because I'm here to tell you this guy is an extremely humble man who has God in the center of his heart, his family, and his life. And that's why you may not know some of the things that I'm going to share with you. <laughs> Emmett grew up in Pensacola, Florida. And not the nice Pensacola where the white sand beaches are, but rather he grew up in the projects with his sisters Connie and Marcia, and his brothers Eric and Emery, and his late brother Emil. His mom, Mary, his dad, Emmett James Smith Jr., <laughs> and two full sets of grandparents. Yeah. Two. Emmett's parents rented a little small apartment in those projects in Pensacola at 138, 138 at Tuck's Court in Pensacola, right? Where, according to Emmett, they had rats and some as large as cats, <laughs> right? We did, we did. <laughs> now, I'm going to get serious here because in this small apartment in the projects in Pensacola, shootings, drug dealers, drunks, prostitutes, these were all a part of Emmett's daily environment as a little boy. As we call them, night walkers. Night walkers, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> While eating government surplus cheese and drinking powdered milk. But you see, Emmett had a large and supportive family with parents who worked extremely hard to do the right things in raising their children and taught them to believe in God and have faith in the center of everything, a very strong faith. As a young boy, Emmett played football with his cousins across the street from his grandmother's house at Old Mallard Park. <laughs> correct? That is correct. And he played throughout high school at Escambi High School in Pensacola and Emmett became the second leading rusher in American high school history and earned national honors for the player of the year in high school for the nation. I mean, this is crazy. Emmett then went on to play for the University of Florida, for the Gators. 
Emmett was the first to attend a major university at his family. While only at the University of Florida for three short years before deciding to declare himself eligible for the NFL draft, while there, he racked up 58 school records for the Gators. 58! <laughs> That's crazy. So imagine. The year is 1975. Emmett's six years old. He's sitting in his little apartment with his dad. The Cowboys are on TV. <clears throat> he turns to his dad and he says, Dad, when I get older, I'm going to play football in the National Football League. And you know what, Dad? I'm going to play football for the Dallas Cowboys. His dad supported him his dream. Fast forward 15 years later, 1990, Dallas Cowboys draft Emmitt Smith <laughs> as their new running back. Vision completed. Dreams succeeded as a little boy. Think about all, all the dreams we have, right, as little boys and little girls growing up in a poverty-stricken little area in Pensacola. <clears throat> and he delivers that vision. Emmett played for 15 seasons in the National Football League, 13 of them for the Dallas Cowboys, two of them for the Arizona Cardinals. In 2005, February of 2005, Emmett decided to retire. As a cowboy, I might add, he did so having appeared on the cover of Sports Illustrated 13 times and setting the all-time rushing record in the history of the game with 18,355 yards surpassing the great Walter Payton, 11 straight 1,000-yard seasons, three Super Bowl rings, four NFL rushing titles, nine Pro Bowl selections, a Super Bowl MVP award, and an NFL, National Football League MVP award. Am I right so far? You're spot on. You're telling the whole story. I don't think I need to say anything. I think it's over. I think <laughs> it's a wrap. And if that's not enough, <laughs> okay, and there's more, right? In 2010, Emmett Smith was inducted into the NFL Hall of Fame. And folks, if you really want to get to know this guy's heart, and I mean truly want to get to know the inner workings of who that man is right there, I encourage you to go Google the 2010 Hall of Fame Emmett Smith enrichment speech and watch it. It's a short 22, 23 minutes. And if you're like me, it'll bring you to tears. It'll bring you to tears. Today, Emmett is in the commercial real estate and construction business, and he owns and operates a holding company called E. Smith Legacy. And under his umbrella, Emmett has five separate companies. E. Smith Properties, it's commercial mixed use. E. J. Smith, named after his son. E. J. Smith Construction and Supply. E. Smith Communities, which is for social infrastructure development services. That's the services they provide under E. Smith Communities. E. Smith Advisors, company number four, 
which is a commercial real estate services organization, and finally, East Smith Horizons, which provides civil infrastructure services. East Smith's wife is better half, he'll agree. Pat Smith is the author of Second Chances and the CEO of Pat Smith Enterprises and Treasure U, a nonprofit that supports women in financial and emotional and spiritual needs. Lesser known publicly, but equally as important to the Smiths, is their extensive joint charity work through the Pat and Emmett Smith Charities. Since 2010, are you ready for this? Since 2010, the Smiths through their charities have served more than 150,000 children. Through distribution of grants and scholarships, the Pat and Emmett Smith Charities signature program comes from his favorite number, 22. It's called Team 22. Team 22 identifies high potential underserved 6th and 7th graders in the Dallas area and provides mentorship and educational expenses through middle school, high school, and ultimately college. And trust me, I've seen this Team 22 in action with the Smiths, and they truly care. And they're not just doing this for publicity. This is who they are. This is their heart. And this is why you probably don't know about it, because again, they're very humble. Very humble. So Emmett, I started this show called The Weekly Word with Michael Rossa for the purpose of imparting our core values and principles that Debbie and I and our family have onto our people. And when I say our people, I mean our employees, our customers, our future customers, our subcontractors, our suppliers, our friends and family. Right, right. And Debbie and I are very, very open about our faith in God, our belief in Jesus, our family, our marriage, and of course, we love the blessings that God is giving us to have connections with people like you and Tony Romo and Tony Dungy that allow us to expose people of high profile such as yourself and give others, our viewers, a glimpse into why it is that you believe God might be important. Right. Why you feel God should come first. So. On that, we'll segue into a few questions because I want to ask you some questions surrounding four topics. One is faith, one is family and marriage. Of course, we got to talk about football. And then finally, leadership and business a little bit. Are you good with that? Perfect. Perfect. All right, here we go. Question number one on faith. Many people right now know about your superstar achievements in the NFL, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, your incredible ability to dance those feet off. <laughs> but very few people may know about what happened on October 19, 1997. You were baptized. Oh, yeah. You were baptized as an adult by your spiritual mentor, by your spiritual mentor and in your spiritual mentor's church, the Potter's House. And you were baptized by Bishop T.D. Jakes, along with three of your Cowboy teammates, including Deion Sanders. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? 
Yeah, the water was very dirty when we got out of it. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> no, um, thank, first of all, thank you for having me on. And uh, to your audience, thank you for taking the time out to, to, to watch this podcast. But, uh, you know, faith is something that was instilled in me a long time ago as a young man. And, uh, but as life goes, you have to find your own journey in faith. And you have to walk through uh, and, and know God for yourself and know your Lord and Savior for yourself. And so along that line, faith has always been at the forefront in my mind's eye. And, 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 and growing up, it was just a part of what I, what, what, what I did. My grandmother was a very spiritual person. Uh, Irma Lee Smith was a very, very spiritual person. Uh, they would call her a, a sanctified holy saint, if you will, because um, she she was all about the Bible, read the Bible every day, as long as I can remember. And so being around her and having a chance to, uh, you know, just get some passages from, from her before I even went off to college uh, became part of what I held on to. And so she gave me this verse, Proverbs 3 and 6, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses uh, three, 4 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not onto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy path. Now, as a young man, I didn't realize what all that was all about. But as you grow older and you have a chance to reflect over your life, uh, you start to see how God has basically orchestrated maneuvered, opened doors, created opportunities, sustained you even in your downtime, uh, humbled you even when you were high, kept you on the right path, gave you enough of the spiritual sense of that third spiritual eye to say enough is enough, I need to turn and go this direction. And that's how the spiritual aspect of my life has been. And when I look back now and reflect, Going back to some of the things that you mentioned, as a young man sitting on the floor telling his father, one of these days I want to play professional football, I want to play for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, at the age of eight, how do you even know that's going to even happen? You have to have some type of foundation, some type of belief. And, and you have to believe in something greater than yourself in order to recognize who really truly has the power. You're just a vessel that's living on this planet right now uh, exuding the talents that's been placed within you. Those things have to be discovered. People along the way have to be the right kind of people to bring out the best in you. Because you can have all kinds of things in your life. You can have folks, obviously, that, uh, that are there for, as we used to say, uh, People are in your life for a reason, season, or treason. Reason, reason season, season, or, or treason. treason. <laughs> One of the two. I had not heard that. So they, they're there for a good reason or a bad reason. They're there for a season, a period of time, or treason to, to hurt you. One way or the other. And the Bible would say the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he's, he's coming to take you apart one way or the other. But, but by having that spiritual foundation, though, uh, and knowing and having that spiritual belief that there is higher power than you are and someone has gave you something that's very special and having folks come into your life to tap into that and help bring that out, whether it's a teacher, whether it's parents, 
whether it's coaches, in my case, it was a lot of coaches. And you saw some of those coaches on the stage at, at, at the uh, gala this past May. At the those are folks that helped bring things out of me that I didn't even realize was there. Gave me insight and exposed me to things that my parents couldn't really expose me to. And I, now when, when I hear the word, it takes a village to raise a child, I truly understand what that village looks like. It's people that are spiritually yoked together with the well-being of others and trying to bring out the best in each other so we can maximize our own truly God-given talent. And so through this whole journey, uh, landing with the Dallas Cowboys, I can see God. Going, well, I'm gonna take a step back. 87, graduating from high school and being named Gatorade National Football Player of the Year and having a chance to go to my very first Super Bowl with my best friend Johnny Nick out in Pasadena, California and watch the Denver Broncos. Where you had declared it with him how many years previous? Oh, well this is, I'm just a senior in high school. Oh, you went, you went out of went. Oh, you just went. That's, I went. Okay, that's I where, went. and that's where you declared that you were going to play in it. Well, well, yes. <laughs> well, I, yes, yes. And that's when you sit up in the stands and you like, okay, I've started this football journey and I'm on this way. And my next step is collegiate football. But I'm sitting here at the professional level looking at something that I want to do right now. In high school. In high school. And and I'm watching the Denver Broncos and the Giants play and the Giants are beating the Denver Broncos and I'm getting all excited and, and pumped up. It's almost like being motivated. And boom, I turn to Jay Nick and said, one of these days, man, I want to play in the Super Bowl and I want to play in the stadium. Because I never had a chance. I mean, going to an SEC school, very rarely would you come west. And if you did, you never played in the Rose Bowl. You had to go to Hawaii and play in Hawaii or you went to a bowl game in Anaheim and played in Anaheim or something like that, but you never really played in the Rose Bowl because the Rose Bowl was there for the Pac-10 champion and the Big Ten champions to come and play in that Rose Bowl. And so never thought that that was even possible. And then finally get drafted by the Dallas Cowboys in 1990. God's hands on me. Two and a half years later, three years later, six years from the time I was in the Rose Bowl, I found myself playing in the Rose Bowl in my very first Super Bowl with Johnny Nick sitting up in the stands watching me play. And we're playing against the Buffalo Bills. Who does things like that? Who orchestrates the Dallas Cowboys one in 15 and 89, trading Herschel Walker away for all, uh, an ungodly amount of picks. And I happen to be one of those picks. So who orchestrates those kind of things? I mean, I would like to think we're smart, but we ain't that smart and we're not that clever. Somebody orchestrate a point in time for Troy Aikman, Michael Irvin, Jimmy Johnson, myself, Daryl Johnston, Jerry Jones to buy the team, to bring all of us together at one point in time for one mission, to do something that's beyond all of our comprehensions and to create a stage or a platform for us as human beings to be able to help others along the way and to inspire others to their level of greatness. It's not there just for us. It's there to be shared. This life that we have is there to be shared, not only with my own family, but also with others who are really aspiring and trying to become the very best where, version of where themselves. Where did you get the dare to share? What's that, what's that all about, dare to share? Well, I mean, 
what can I do with this information that I actually have outside of die with it and never share it with right. no one else? Right. It goes down with me. Gotcha. But to be able to leave the planet or leave someone with something that can help them is really what life is all about. That's what Jesus did. He walked the planet sharing his life and laid down his life for each and every one of us and raised it up three days later so we may have it everlasting. So share, give, and it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaking over 10 times measure. So this knowledge that I've gained, this experience that I've gained, the same knowledge that, that Charlie Edgar had when he shared with me how to read blueprints, blueprints and four plants, the same knowledge that Jimmy Nichols had when he shared with me about protecting the football, the same knowledge that, that, that uh, Dwight Thomas shared with his football team about writing down your goals is only dreaming until you write it down and then it becomes a goal. All of those things become part of what you truly believe in. Do you believe in what someone is telling you? And if the person is telling you is a person of good character, can you trust it? And can you believe in it? And can you go with it? Mm. And so when you start talking about weaning away and falling off a little bit and searching for things and going on my own personal journey and, and realizing that I was chasing my tail for about five or six, seven years and, and finally landed in, in the potter's house and hearing Bishop Jakes preach a sermon about PMS, power, money, and sex, it blew my mind. It blew my mind how he put those three things together and it correlated to where I was at that time. Because six years into the National Football League, I done won two or three Super Bowls. I've came, I done led the league in rushing. I've gotten paid and all these things. And yet I'm like, this feels hollow. <laughs> Something is missing. Something is not right. I love it. And I so when you seek, you shall find. Not the door shall be open. And I was seeking and I started knocking. So I went back to the potter's house again to make sure that the food was good. <laughs> the food was consistent. Bishop was on point. T.D. Jakes is amazing. When he's preaching, he is it's as if he's been sleeping in my closet, listening to all my stories. <laughs> he's talking directly he's to the He's talking guy directly to me or to the person that's sitting in the audience. I, I love listening. To me, that is connecting. Yeah. That is the connection yep. that you should. And that changes hearts. That changes hearts. It changes hearts. And that's where everything comes from. That's where everything's come from. And so that's how I ended up being rebaptized. Wow. That's amazing. And okay, great all. answer. Holy smokes. All right, how do you go about incorporating God and faith into your daily routine with your family, friends, and as a businessman, founder and leader of E. Smith Legacy? How do you incorporate God into everything? Well, Number one, we have to live by example. And sometimes we don't always live up to that because we are humans, we are flawed. Uh, frustrations set in, uh, temptation is always around us. Uh, That's one of the questions. Yeah, it's always around us. And, uh, and I'm not just talking about uh, physical temptation, just emotional temptation, mental temptation, all kinds of things are distracting us and has the ability to uh, pull our attention from really things that are truly important. Um, so to, your, to, to answer your question, I began my day with prayer and I'm doing more of it now than I have in my past uh, uh, because I need to be closer Absolutely. to my Lord and Savior. 
Uh, I need to hear his voice. I need to, to, to know him. I need to learn, yearn for his, his connection. And his love for me is evident in my life. And, and I want him to have, this, have that same love for me back to him. And, and, and the only way I can do that is try to live the best life that I can um, and, 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 and try to do it in a way that is not only pleasing to him, but also beneficial to others. And so... so you start your day with prayer. That's, that's oh yeah. excellent. Oh, yeah. And, and I try to listen because my body tells me a lot. My body tells me what I need to do physically, what I need to do in terms of relaxing. Uh, because your body, you have one body, you have one vessel. And it's, and it's a soul, it's a spirit. And that spirit can be on point, it can be off kilter, uh, it can be out of balance, it can be unfocused, and it can be uncommitted. It can be all over the place. But the one thing that has to stay centered is your, your relationship with him to bring you back to center. Uh, because as humans, we're flawed. Like I said, the mind, that's where the battle is won and lost, is in the mind. People talk about us athletes and say, yeah, we're great athletes. Yeah, okay, we're great, okay. But the ones who are better than great, they have it between the ears. They have the mental toughness, the mental fortitude uh, to try to stay focused for a longer period of time. Mm. And, and you see that in some of the best athletes. Great answer, I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. Next question, the Pat and Emmett Smith Charities. Tell our audience about how it got started, right. how long it's been around, and what your hope is for it? Well, Pat and Emmett Smith Charities began in 08, 09. Um, but prior to that, there was Emmett Smith Charities. And Emmett Smith Charities was still focused on educational and enrichment opportunities. And I've held that back in the 90s with my family and then brought it to Dallas and did some things here in Texas. Uh, but then when I got married, um, my wife, I mean, when I was, we was thinking about re- jump-starting the charity, obviously we had to change the name because it just couldn't be Emmett Smith Charities. Sure. Uh, I look at my wife as the heart sure. of our family and the charity as well and the heart to the, to the community. She's the balance that I need. She's, the, she's the, the rock that smooth off the rough edges that I carry. And so when it came down to reinvigorating the charity, changing the name made sense uh, because her life and my life are very similar in terms of people that have helped shape our lives into the place where we are right now. But only that, but it kept reminding us no matter how high we go, to whom much is given, much is required. Right. And so when you have that sense of responsibility for a greater cause than yourself, you take the liberty to try and make something happen. And when you have a platform that can galvanize a number of people. You try to maximize it to the benefit of others, not necessarily yourself, because it is for the benefit of others. Because as you said, I got five operating companies and a charity, not to mention my own family where I got five kids. So I got a lot on my plate, but the mission still the same. I sacrifice, we sacrifice of ourselves for the benefit of others. And that's just the way it has been for me. Even as a football player, I make the sacrifices that I need to make for my teammates. Sure. And as a husband, I make the sacrifices that I need to make for my wife and for my children and for 
as far as a citizen, I make the sacrifices that I need to help people who are in need. Right. And the more we do those things, the more we take the eyes off of us and put the eye on others right. uh, who are in need. And is. people that are not looking for a handout, but people that are looking for a hand up or an open door opportunity, then I think the better society would be. Uh, uh, because there's so many things that are, that are just pulling us apart when God intended it for us to be together. Right, exactly. Yeah, good, good answer. Thank you for sharing that. I love that, Charity. Uh, many people who are watching today have kids. They got children, right? Mm -hmm. And your parents continually reinforced God and faith growing up. What effects has that had on you, on how you and Pat today are raising your five children? Oh, huge effect, huge effect, because my wife and I truly believe um, that our faith is the foundation of who we are. And upon this rock, we stand. And that rock is not us. That rock is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Amen. Christ. And so when you look back and you reflect over the things and what transpired and how you got to this place, how you started this humble beginning and you go through this process of life and the people that have come in contact with you and has helped transform your life, how can you not believe that there's something greater than you. Yeah, how can, how can you believe, to how do you think that you did all of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one person becomes successful by themselves. No, exactly it right. takes a village and that village, not necessarily grown people, but kids too. I mean, people, you find inspiration in the darnest places. As long as you're looking for inspiration. Right. If you're not looking for inspiration, you won't find it. If you're seeking and searching for answers to help push you to the next level, and if you have the courage to go and push yourself to the next level, it will be there. It will be there. This is not easy. This is not for the lighthearted or the, or, or, or the one that would faint. If it was that easy, we all have it made, but we don't have it made. And yes, we all, some of us have better opportunities than others, but just get in the game instead of sitting on the sideline complaining about the game. Game on. Get in it. You gotta get in it. That's exactly right, wow. I love it. So how do you, what do you feel is important? Let me think here. What do you feel is important for people? Why do you feel it is important for people to have God in their life and not be afraid to talk about it? Well, First and foremost, when you look at the world, we are all connected and we all believe in something. I don't care what faith or religion you might be. It's, it's higher power. And the question is, what is the commonality? I love for that higher power. What is also the commonality? We are humanly frail and flawed, all of us. What is also the commonality? We have one planet and one resources and one way to take care of it. And it ain't no one else's responsibilities but ours. What's the problem? Difference of opinion. The ability not to come together or to agree to disagree and to think beyond oneself. That is the problem. We cannot come together. 
We were meant to be together. Think about it this way. Every 4th of July, we celebrate something. And you know what? You feel so much family, so much love around celebrating. Every Christmas, we celebrate something. And everybody feels so much love in just giving and being around family and appreciate where they are. Every Easter, every birthday, there are moments to celebrate and we feel so much love and connected when we're around people that are equally yoked. That is a great feeling. How can you not be connected and not feel that? How can you be connected and not feel that love? So love is the foundation of who we are. Our Father, our Lord and Savior, He loved the world so much that He died for us. He laid down His life for us. So love is the foundation of each and every one of these religions. It's not that your God is better than my God or my God is, God is God. Love is the greatest gift of all. And so when we start trying to interject these different things into it, it becomes a problem. Right. It becomes a major problem. But if you keep love at the center, right. then you can look past some of the barriers. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. So I asked, I, thank you for that answer, I love that answer. I, I asked, when I was interviewing Tony Romo, I asked him the same question because you two guys have this one trait very much in common. And it ain't golf, although you both golf. It's this trait. You guys are both truly, at a heart level, very humble. And the question I asked Tony, which I'm gonna ask you right now, is this. Have you always been humble, or was there a defining moment or moments <laughs> that kind of what do you think there? I, I would say I've had a constant reminder of no matter how high you go, never forget where you come from. And humility is the greatest form of education that one can have. If you humble yourself, you're always open to learning. And if you're open to learning, you're always the dumbest person in the room. And if you're the dumbest person in the room, you're always seeking knowledge. And if you're seeking knowledge, you're always asking for help. And so being in that place, Love it. being in that place is something that I learned along the way. One of the, <laughs> one of the funniest experiences I had in terms of humility it occurred in high school. And I was a freshman and Dwight my high school coach never really allowed the freshmen to talk to the press. Well, I started as a freshman and I was having these great games and the press wanted to talk to me, kept pushing them off, pushing them, pushing them off. And then finally, I had this game against this high school. I rushed for 245 yards on about like eight carries, all in the first half, and they set me down. And so the press kept saying, come on coach, you gotta let us talk to the kid. So finally he allowed me to talk to him. Now I never had any media training whatsoever. And so I started talking to the priest, said they're gonna ask questions, you have to answer these questions. I'm like, he said, answer them the best way you know how. I'm like, okay, no problem, how hard can it be? <laughs> well the press have the tendency to ask these one-sided questions, making you feel like you did everything. And, and the answers came out kind of like, yeah, 
Uh, I took the handoff on the right-hand side, cut up inside, made the linebacker miss, bounced off to the safety, made him miss, and off to the races I was running. I took a sweep pass, cut, took a sweep to the left, cut up inside, made the safety miss, and off to the race I was running. It was a bunch of I, I, I things. Afterwards, Dwight put his arms around me, walked me back into the locker room, and he said, listen, every chance you get, you share the spotlight with those five guys up front because they don't get a lot of attention. He said, you're going to get a lot of attention no matter what you do and no matter where you go. Always share the spotlight with your teammates. And he said, you didn't hand the football to yourself, you didn't throw the ball to yourself, and you definitely didn't block for yourself. I said, okay, coach, I got it. Fast forward. Monday practice comes around. We all stand up at the pole, get ready to go out onto the football field. He comes up in the middle of the crowd, looks to the right, looks to his left, blows the whistle. We charge the field. He said, I want first-string defense versus first-string offense. I want nine on seven. That's nine defensive players versus seven offensive players, two more than we can block. So I'm tightening up my chin strap because I know what's about to happen. They say, Hut, they hand me the football, my whole, whole offensive line laid down, and the defense come clobbering me. <laughs> so he, he instructed the offensive line not to block. Exactly. And to prove to you, hey, you can't do this without You cannot them. do it. So by you had nine guys flattened <laughs> flat me. So I got up saying, Coach, I got it, I got it. <laughs> I understand the lesson in humility. And so from that point on, every chance I got, I didn't do it all by myself. I had great offensive line. Great defining moment. It's a great defining moment, and and that's why I say no man or no woman becomes successful by themselves. I don't care if you are the breadwinner of the household. I don't care if you are the president of the United States. I don't care if you are the CEO of a company. It doesn't matter. Nobody becomes successful by themselves. You got to have that supporting cast to do their part so you can be the person that you need to be to do your part. I agree, I agree. Thank you, I love that defining moment on why you're humble. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask and talk a bit just for a second about your book and guys and gals watching, if you haven't bought his book, it's called Game On, you gotta get it. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time and, and I love in your book where you say, and I'm gonna quote it, Stay hungry, welcome your vision for a better life, dare to dream of what your heart deeply desires and pursue those dreams with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul and know that whatever you lack, God will provide, given of course that you've opened your heart to what God wants for your life. <laughs> Tell me about that. Hey, I just told you all about it for about the last 30 minutes. Yep. That's something that I truly deeply believe yeah. in. And so it, 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 is, it, is, it is something that I live by. Yeah, and, I, and, and all through your book, you've woven in example after example after example. And I think you kind of give this like blueprint and almost like an action, like 10 action steps to that get, anybody can follow through the 10 chapters right. that are very well written. Thank you. It's very well written. I mean, I wanted to, to give illustrations, then I wanted to have a spiritual undertone to it because, uh, like I said, in 2010, I mean, you're, you're so busy on the grind, doing what you're doing, playing 15 years in the National Football League, winning, losing, getting over things, working out, preparing yourself, then transitioning from the game right into business and entrepreneurship and dancing with the stars and so forth. And then when the Hall of Fame comes around and you have to write your, accept, your acceptance speech, for the first time at that point, I had a chance to truly reflect 
over my life. My life to see how God has blessed me. How he's brought me from a humble beginnings to where I'm at to this day. The things that I had to go through to get here. The things that were great, the things that were not so great, the things that were challenging, the things that were not so challenging, uh, and so forth and on and on. I mean, the people, that in itself just reaffirmed, reaffirmed my faith in Him. Reaffirmed that He shall be the provider. Reaffirmed that the door shall be open when I get there. Reaffirmed that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, as long as I do my part. I love it. I love it. All right, we're gonna move on to family. Uh, we're done with the first section. We're gonna go to family now. Moving on here, real quick. You're being married is one of the greatest joys and blessings we know, mm -hmm. right? But as you know, being married at times can be really hard. It is. What do you do to keep your marriage vibrant and healthy? Well, uh, counseling. Me too. Counseling. Regularly. Yeah, regularly. regularly. Me too. Like, regularly. I need it. Regularly. I mean, the book Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus is, is an absolute true, true, true book. <laughs> uh, reading the book Her Knees and His Knees is perfect. Uh, you know, just learning oneself. Uh, learning how to, learning the language of each other. Right. Uh, and giving each other the grace to fail. Grace for today. Grace for today. We all need it. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's not easy to bring two human beings from two different parts of the world or flawed. the country that are flawed together and expect everything to be roses. I mean, after the honeymoon is over, marriage is work, constant work, constant work on how to communicate with one another, constant work on how to support one another, constant work on how to love one another and understand each other's language, constant work on how to reaffirm each other, constant work on how to forgive each other and, 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 and continue to remain friends, how to, then when you start interjecting kids into the mix, how do you find that balance between uh, loving them more <laughs> and not loving your wife less or loving your husband less. How do you find that mix? Right, when God tells us to put him first, your spouse second, your children third, fourth, yeah, yeah, and everything else yeah. below that. Yeah, because you got kids, in, in one's mind, one may think, okay, they're grown, they're adults, they can manage, they can handle it and everything. They still need us. They still, everybody needs each other. Right. Again, we're talking connection. The bottom line is love and connection. Is love strong enough to keep everything together? Because when love is not there, that's when things fall apart. Do you run into challenges when you find you're not balancing things well? Constantly, constantly. Because when you're in a demanding position, whether it's me or her or whomever it may be, uh, there are times when I need her, there's times, a lot of times probably when she need me. Or there's a lot of times when I need her. And, and, uh, and then you have kids that need both parents all the time. So that balance is never easy but it's one that we strive that we strive for. And I have to go on the presumption that you guys openly talk regularly with your kids about your belief in Jesus, about import, the importance of having God at the forefront and why we as 
you and Pat and everyone, all of us as one family unit need to have God in the middle of everything because we're all flawed. Right. We are. I mean, that's what but, Debbie and I constantly but, but, but here's do with the our thing. own family. Here's the thing for kids, though. Kids going to have to find it for themselves. Right. And uh, we can we can talk to them. We can try to teach them. We can try to help them. We can try to send them to uh, vacation Bible study and all those kind of things. But they have to walk that life and have to carry their own cross. If we do a good enough job, maybe they don't get outside the lines too long. Maybe they butt up against the line and then come back to the center. And that's all you can ever hope for because we all butts up against lines. No doubt we just don't want to get on the other side of the line and get so far down where you cannot find your way back. And that's when it's really, really, truly a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've met your several of your kids and I think you're doing a pretty darn good job. They are. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're more than all right. I think they're doing very, very well. And again, you're demonstrating your humbleness. All right, I'm going to move to football, baby, football. All right, here we go. January 2nd, 1994, mm -hmm. critical game. The Meadowlands in New Jersey against the Giants, right? It's a brutally cold day where the artificial turf feels like freaking concrete. Yes. And growing up in Jersey, I know how cold it can be in January, okay? Much was at stake as the winner of this game is going to secure home field advantage for the playoffs. They're going to have, what, a week off for rest? Yeah. And uh, so here we are. And you're going you're gonna to also have a, a first-round bye if the winner of this game. So lots at stake at this game, right? Yes, yes. A minute and 58 seconds left in the half. You break free. You're on a 46-yard run down the field. And this large dude, Greg Jackson, runs you down, jumps on top of you, piles his entire body on you, slams your right shoulder into the concrete aka turf and tears your ligaments in your right shoulder separating your shoulder bruising your sternum barely able to raise your right arm and you drive on you finish the game <laughs> and you guys win okay how in the world did you find the courage to play with such agonizing pain right well i'm gonna try not to keep this a, a long-winded story but you mentioned earlier at the top of the show playing ball in the park across from my grandmother's house yep that old mallard park right that's where it began it began there by falling down on the ground getting scars on my elbows and knees seeing blood crying and having my older cousins telling me, and along with my brothers and the rest of us, if you cannot play with pain, you cannot play the game. Fast forward that to high school, in the playoff, have had two badly sprained ankles where they had to wear air casts. Two of them? Two of them. Like one on each foot? One on each foot. <laughs> the I'm same game? Bad, and had to wear air casts throughout the whole entire game. Matter of fact, for two, two, two weeks, it was bad. And, um, and they held me out of the very first playoff game for about uh, three quarters. And, um, and we got, to, got real tight, and I kept begging and begging to get in. And so knowing what was at stake, got in and I ran, and I ran as hard as I could. We ended up winning the game in, 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 in six overtimes. Six, six overtimes. overtimes. And then the next week we went in, ended up winning the game in seven overtimes. And so 
don't having the experience of playing with pain helped me for that particular game against the Giants because uh, I knew my legs was fine. Um, my shoulders, I, I, if I can just deal with the pain, I feel like I was going to be okay. How, how special was that for you, laying on the stretcher when the great John Madden comes out of the broadcast booth and for the first time ever comes into a locker room after a game and comes up and talks to you about the courage and the guts that you had. And I mean, how special was that? You know, I mean, you don't think about things like that, but when Madden walked in and he saw me after the game over there on the, on the training table, and he came up to me and said, that was the gutsiest performance I've ever seen in my life. That was amazing. And for a guy like John Madden to say that, it says a lot about the character of the player and the determination of the player and the mental toughness of the player. Right. Uh, football is, is, is all of that. And uh, to be able to do that in a game of that magnitude for my teammates and for myself. And win it. And win it. Thank God Eddie Murray made it through the uprights. And didn't you guys go on to win yeah. something a little later? Yeah, we went on to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, and I was also named MVP of that year, yeah, too. So, amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are the things that I drew on, right. my past. I mean, everything, that's why they say all things work together for the good of those Romans who love the Lord. So you go back and you look at all these things, I had to go back in history is, and, and rely on those things because Every time I kept running, I kept saying to myself, no pain, no pain, no pain, no pain. Even though I was in pain, I kept trying to reverse the thought of it. Well, I went back and watched the video of it, and you had players following you to help you up. Yes. But you couldn't get up. Yes. My teammates, I mean, I think once they saw me back in the game and saw what I was doing, I can recall hearing Nate Newton saying, hey, let's get it. When he's down on the ground, let's get these giants up off him. And, and, and I could see them coming to the, my rescue. I'm running down six yards down the field, and they snatching bodies up off of me, getting, getting them up off of me, because they were trying to pile on, right. which, which is what- they're Trying which, to hurt you, yeah. Which, which, which is what you supposed to do anyway. Right. I mean, you got a lame duck horse, you better, you better get put on them, them. <laughs> you better put them down. And so that's what happened. And, and so to see them step up like that, yeah, that's uh, it, it's reciprocal. Three biggest lessons the NFL taught you. Three lessons. Three lessons the NFL has taught me. It taught me how to look at the game from both sides of the, of, of the line of scrimmage. Um, and it taught me that with perseverance, true faith, hard work and determination, you can't achieve what, it, what, what you want to achieve. But it also taught me something else it taught me that, that this game is only for a short period of time. Your life is so much more broader than just a game. And the relationships that you have it, throughout this game will be there forever if you nurture them. Getting down to the last couple of questions here, what's your greatest accomplishment? I don't think I've achieved it yet. I don't think I've achieved it yet. Great answer. I just don't. I think there's still more for me to do. When you're in a stressful situation, business, 
or maybe in football, mm -hmm. maybe in marriage, how do you calm your butterflies? You only calm butterflies through experience. Stressful situations are different. Um, they're not butterflies. That's stress. Yeah. <laughs> butterflies is the excitement of being able to do something that you've never done before. That may bring butterflies. Uh, or get ready to go play in the game against somebody that you've never played against before. Or coming in as a rookie playing the, the sport that you absolutely love and desiring to play since you was a child. Those are butterflies. But when you have experience, those butterflies goes away. Stress is something different. Stress make you tighten up. Stress put more, more, stress give the devil a lot of place, a lot of room to play. Because stress weighs on your mind. It weighs on your body. That's the difference. Butterflies can be good. There's good stressors. Then there's bad stressors. And butterflies can be those good stressors. I take butterflies every day over stress. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. I like that. I like that. Who's been the hardest to please over the years? Hardest to please? That's a good question. Because at the top of my mind, I want to say my wife. <laughs> at the top of my mind, that's really, really what I want to say. But to be honest with you, I might be my own hardest critic. That's exactly right. That's the answer. That's the true answer. It's us. Yeah. It's it's the guy in the mirror. Yeah. It's the guy in the mirror. It's the, we're we are the hardest to please because yeah. we set things so high. Yeah. And sometimes we have very unrealistic expectations of our wives, of of everybody, of our children, and of, of our, our and whatever, including of ourselves. That's exactly correct. That's yeah. why that I, I mean, at top of mind, I wanted to go there, but the reality of it, I think it is my, myself. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Right there with you. All right, we're getting down to the last couple things here. All right, in, in Game On, his book, he says, it, it, the, under, the tagline for his book, Game On, is find your purpose, pursue your dream. I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it, because we have a lot in common, less the football and dancing piece. We have a lot in common. <laughs> so I love this book, especially the first couple pages. I really, in fact, yesterday, we had a half-day meeting with several of my key people, and I played them on audiobooks the first three minutes of your book. I said, you guys have got to get this book. Just listen to this, because it was very powerful. At the end of every one of my weekly words, I always ended by saying, uh, make smart choices this week. And I was excited to see that you dedicated an entire chapter. Chapter nine in his book is entitled, Decide Wisely. Talk to me about that. Why did you choose decide wisely as a and dedicate a whole chapter to that? You know, I think going back and looking at some of the mistakes that I've made, um, some a lot of them I've rushed into. A lot of them I didn't wait for God to speak. A lot of them was emotional decisions, which also says that I'm not deciding wisely. Um, and I think patience is truly a virtue. Uh, they that wait shall renew their strength. And I think waiting has a way of allowing God and yourself to come together on the decision. Uh, even if God give you something that you're supposed to do, that may not mean do it right now. That means I just planted a seed that needs to be watered so it can grow 
and when it start to grow, there's some pruning that needs to take place. So you might want to take that seed and water it with research. And as it start to grow, find more research. And as you start to prune, taking things off, it start to crystallize itself in terms of clear direction of what you need to do and when you need to do it. Those are some of the things I'm learning still to this day. Hence, decide wisely. Decide wisely. Slowly, with patience. I like it. I really like it. You have to have a lot of opportunities that come your way. How do you decide which ones to say no to in order to say yes to the great ones? Right. Um, most of them falls within do I believe in it? Am I passionate about it? Um, or did, did, did God give me this? I mean, when I set up East Smith Legacy Holdings, my first company that I started was EJ Smith Construction because I wanted to get into the construction space. I wanted to be that minority contractor that people said that they couldn't find when there is a quality minority contract out there that does quality work, and we're one of those firms. And I'm not just saying it because it's my company. I know we're one of those firms. Um, and when I set that up in the real estate part of it, there was a correlation between the real estate and the, and the construction. When you're doing real estate, there's always a construction budget. Right. So seeing what the budget is and what it all entails says, even the construction company can make money as well, right. as the developer is making money. Right, right, right. So they both kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So there's a yin and a yang. Mm -hmm. And then when I set up East Smith Advisors, which is the brokerage services company, mm -hmm. well, in order to find a real estate, you need a broker. Sometimes you can find it on your own, but you still yeah, may you need, need a broker. You need a professional. Guy, yeah. You need a professional person. Yeah, of course. So understanding how to uh, evaluate trade areas and site selection and all those kind of things is something that I started to study. Other words, gaining knowledge. And then how all of this linked together, where they all of it links together. When I've developed something, I gotta lease up my space. Why not my own company lease up my space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the relationship with certain tenants. Yeah, why, why not bring them there to myself? Makes total sense. Makes sense to me. And so, passionate about all of these things is one reason why it's set up the way it is. And if it can then provoke change and not only provoke change, but also uh, create capacity for others, let's do it. Let's do it. And so that's, that's how I make those decisions. And if it doesn't fall in some of these umbrellas, I won't do it. I won't I do it. it. Some, of it, it some of it is distractions. Last two questions. Dancing with the Stars, how hard was that? How much did you practice? What did you learn? It was, it was extremely harder than I thought it was. Uh, I practiced, I went from four hours a day to eight hours a day to 12 hours a day. For how long? For about- The whole season? The whole season, yeah. Five days a week, three days a week, no, two days a week? Six, every day. Seven days a week? Every day. 12 hours a day? I ain't Come gonna on. Say, I ain't gonna say it, because on show days, you, you didn't do 12 hours. Right. But you practice on show days. Wow. Talk about commitment. Yeah. Give us one story about Dancing with the Stars that you can share that you'd like to share. Just one. Well. That might be fun. You know, I underestimated how the time that it was going to, that, that, that was going to be required. 
I thought I could learn a minute and 20 second routine in a matter of four hours. I figured it couldn't be any difficult than, more difficult than playing football, learning playbooks and so forth for this thick, I can do that. The reality of the fact is, it required a lot more time uh, in order to, like, like football, once I learned my plays, then I can play the game. If you don't know your plays, you cannot play the game because you're not fully. Can execute. Uh, you, you, no, no, you can execute, but you, you're not actually playing the game naturally. You're thinking too much. You're in your head. So therefore, you're out of position. And if you're out of position, then you're getting beat. You're not performing. With Dance with the Stars, once I learned the routine and learned the techniques, I was able to relax, enjoy the moment, and play, and, and dance freely, and have a good time, and allow my personality to come out. And that's the but way the, I looked at it. But to get to that point. To get to that tremendous point. Tremendous amount of effort Tremendous and work. amount of effort and work. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. All right, last question, then we're out of here. All right, here we go. At Rasta Floors, our core values are four things. Integrity, passion, growth, and trust. Say it again. Integrity. Passion, I'm so strong about having passion in everything we do. Growth, because we look, you said it earlier. You said, my coaches saw in me something I didn't see in me and they brought it out of me. Right. We believe that with everyone we work with, that we believe there are so many more little gold and pearls and diamonds within each person's heart that maybe they just haven't had anybody to help cultivate those diamonds in their heart. Mm -hmm. And they've been told they're not smart or they're the wrong ethnicity or they're, uh, they're, they're too tall, they're too short, and therefore they think they can't do it. Right. And so we really believe in the opposite of that. So that's the growth part and then trust because you gotta have trust in everything. Right. Tr trust is extremely important. So integrity, passion, growth, and trust. Those are our core values. Right. What are some of yours with your organization, your family? Just what are some of your core values? Um, I would say definitely uh, trust and passion. Passion is definitely one of those things. I think you got to be passionate about whatever it is that you, you desire to do. Um, because if you don't love what you're doing, you're not going to bring the passion. Uh, and, and, and if you don't bring the passion, it's going to filter out and you're going to move on to the next thing. I think you got to be committed to your mission. You have to see your mission through. If you don't see your mission through, you're going to constantly quit and change missions all the time. And in your book, you weave that very clearly through the entire yeah. book, that start, finish, even going back to college because you made that promise. I mean, all these things that you studying and learning all these different aspects you, you, commitment you commitment commitment you got to be committed you got to be committed and it's okay to make the adjustment to a mission or to a strategy absolutely that's fine but you got to be committed uh, and above all else you got to be collaborative collaborative yeah I love it you got to yeah, because you uh, can't, it takes a village. Yeah, you can't yeah, do it alone. Yeah, you cannot do it alone. You have to have somebody to bounce these thoughts off of and, uh, and, and, and help prune some of your thoughts. Um, as raw as they may be, that's a great form, but you need to drill them down and make them better. Yeah. And, and, and to have the right resources around you that's going to tell you what you really need to hear. Right, versus, right, 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 right. Not what you want to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, exactly. 
You need to hear the truth. You need to hear the truth. Right, right. So exactly. therefore, truth, trust, and all those things are very important. Excellent. Well, Emmett, thank you so very much, man. Oh, you're welcome, I bro. appreciate it very much, oh, so much, for you. you coming out here. Guys, that concludes our show this week. The great one is here with us. Next up, we'll be bringing you Mr. Tony Dungy. See you next week. Thanks. <laughs>